Talk Back Matters from the Salvos. Has the historic account of Easter become too sanitised? Natasha Moore is a research fellow with the Centre for Public Christianity and she shares about an article she's written called The Dark Side of Easter and, of course, the hope that came from it. Mm. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, we have a way of sanitising a lot of stories, don't we? We do this with fairy tales for children these days and we certainly do it with um, the Christian story. Christmas in particular, uh, the Christmas account. We have all these lovely Christmas cards of, um, you know, donkeys and um, sheep and shepherds and angels and isn't the stable lovely and cosy. And actually the story itself is not hygienic and it's quite frightening um, in lots of ways. And Easter, even more so, um, we all want to focus on Easter Sunday and um, a risen Jesus and new life and all that kind of thing. And all of that is true. But to get there, you've got to go through the Thursday and the Friday, Good Friday, the darkness of the cross, Jesus being abandoned, dying in agony, um, and what that means for, um, you know, the Bible says that that's for us, that that's responding to something very real and very dark in our world and in our hearts. So I think when we want to sanitize that, we're kind of missing the point, I think. That's right. I found your article very very. Uh Shocking in in a good way. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you. And I, I just uh, wanted to know if you can expand on it now, just to talk more about the different issues of the darkness. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for us to recover now exactly how devastating um, Jesus' death would have been at the time for his followers, and also how I think how shameful uh, death on a Roman cross was at the time, Um, because we don't, thankfully, practice crucifixion anymore, um, even in places where we do have the death penalty. Uh, And part of the reason that uh, we stopped using crucifixion was because of um, Christianity, was because, you know, we looked at um, the one we call Lord and Saviour and went, well, he was crucified on a cross, and we can't do that anymore. That's terrible. Um, But in the ancient world, crucifixion was only for the lowest of the low. It was um, incredibly painful, basically designed to drag out the torture for as long as possible before death came. Um, and if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be crucified because it was so um, horrific and, um, yeah, just humiliating. Uh, and one of the um, profound things, I think, about what the cross has done for us as a culture is that it changed the way that we think about shame and about humiliation, and about humility. So actually in the ancient world, humility was not a virtue. Um, It was indistinguishable from the concept of humiliation. And it's really because Christians came along and said, well, we're actually worshipping this guy who was crucified. This is the worst possible thing that could really happen to you um, in that culture, in that context. But we think that he's um, this great Lord um, and Saviour And so that changes how you think about um, what counts as greatness and what counts as shame, that actually to accept, um, you know, a lowering of yourself for the good of others is a beautiful thing and a virtuous thing. Um, So, I mean, that's one of the kind of dramatic differences. What do you think about the atheists' claim, some atheists saying that it's a cosmic act of child abuse? Mm. I mean, in a way, I think that that is 
a more rational response to the story than people going, oh, isn't it a nice story? Because it's not a nice story, actually. Um, obviously, I disagree with them. Um, so I think if you take out the reality that Christians believe that Jesus is himself God, um, that we believe in this Trinity, this three-in-one God, and so therefore um, Jesus himself is offering himself uh, that he chooses this, that it's not something that's inflicted on him. And that's on a kind of big theological level. But it's also on, you know, a very human level. The story itself um, is so strange that, you know, Jesus is brought before um, the Roman authorities um, and, you know, he has this trial before Pontius Pilate and Pilate just finds him really confusing because, you know, he even kind of gets this impression that uh, it's not really the Jewish leaders who are trying to have Jesus killed. Um, it's not the crowds. It's not um, Pilate himself who's orchestrating this. It's actually, it's as though Jesus, who seems to be the least powerful person in the story, it's as though he's actually calling the shots. Like he's not trying to get himself released. He's been talking about the fact that this is going to happen for quite some time. Um, and so you have this strange and really kind of shocking but beautiful um, element to the story where Jesus is going willingly to his death and embracing this out of love. So, you know, I think the, the charge of cosmic child abuse um, misses the point in a way, but also it does get at how, like, just kind of grim and shocking uh, the story is, the death of Jesus is, um, you know, crucifixion as a practice, yeah. but also that God would submit himself to that for our sake. That's crazy. We're talking to Natasha Moore about the dark side of Easter and the light side. And I think about the people who were watching at the time, if we go back into the first century, I remember how when I was reading Pliny the Younger's letter to the emperor saying how Christians are so stubborn and he said he's he'd given them three chances to renounce their faith and they said no I will follow Jesus so what was going on back then was very very real yeah that's right and I mean I was reading that letter just yesterday it's because he's kind of writing to the emperor he's the governor of an outlying province um, early in the second century and he's saying oh well you know I know I'm supposed to persecute these Christians but like I'm unclear why is it just because they're Christian or are there particular crimes that they're guilty of and trying to figure that out and he's like well and they're so stubborn about holding on to this Jesus and worshipping him that that in itself seems punishable because I'm a bit suspicious of anyone who's that you know determined to keep believing when I tell them not to basically um, and he actually pulls in a couple of leaders of the early church to um, question them, which essentially means torture them um, to figure out what is going on with this Christian thing. And the people that he pulls into question are these two female slaves um, who are called deaconesses, you know, they're leaders in the church, which just, I think, says so much about how the cross reversed status and hierarchy in the Roman world, that these two slave women were leaders in the church. They would have been of no account in Roman society um, apart from that. But this is kind of what's dramatically different about this early kind of Jesus-following yeah. community. Yeah. 
I love the uh, the angle that you looked at, and um, it's really given us food for thought. It's a bit scary to share with our kids, though, isn't it? Yeah, certainly. I mean, this is um, an ongoing question, isn't it? How much you sanitise for kids? Because um, as much as we want to protect them, we also want children to grow up coming to grips with the world that we actually live in. That's right. Which is sometimes a dark one and a wonderful one and a beautiful and glorious one full of possibilities, but also, you know, the darkness of the human heart and the problems that we have in the world. Um, I think to entirely protect them from that is not a kindness. And the Jesus story answers that so profoundly, like at such a deep level. And so, you know, and I think kids often aren't, bothered by the things that we expect them to be bothered by. So we're not always right in how we try to protect them. Yeah. And I think in Pliny the Younger's letter, there's the uh, testimony for us to see that there was light because of the fact that he rose again. And that's why these people were hanging on to their faith so much, because they saw the reality of what what actually happened in the end. Yeah, I suppose the question is, because if Jesus really did rise from the dead, if that's a thing that happened in history, um, and, you know, his promise was that his resurrection is the foretaste of what will happen for all of us if we um, trust in him, if that's true, then it's worth any level of kind of pain and difficulty and um, sacrifice because, you know, if this is how the world is, then we want to kind of conform our lives to that. Yeah. And just in closing, there's one other piece of history from a secular uh, writer, historian, when Tacitus wrote about how the faith broke out afresh after the crucifixion. And that's when the Christians can smile because they know that he rose again. Yeah, well, and it's very hard to explain, actually, how the early church got going, why these, you know, disciples, these scared fishermen suddenly came out declaring that um, Jesus was risen and were unafraid and all went to their death declaring that they'd seen him risen um, and how this early church movement grew and grew and became so influential. Um, You know, some historians have called it a resurrection-shaped hole in history, that it's very hard to explain, even sociologically, historically, what happened without that, you know, core event. That's right. Um, which Christians believe is a core event of history, of course. That's right. Natasha, thanks for your time. You're so welcome. That's Natasha Moore from the Centre for Public Christianity. Natasha has written a great article in the latest edition of Salvo's Warcrides called The Dark Side of Easter. It'll certainly make us think, and it highlights, of course, the hope that came from it. Grab a copy of Warcry from your local Salvo's church. This is Light and Life. To contact us, go to salvos.org.au slash radio.